station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, movie lead guitarist, Melissa Kirscher. <laughs> Hello. And we are joined by our special guest, movie, I'm going to say, bass player, uh, Kyle Decker. <laughs> nice to meet you. Hi, Kyle. And uh, Kyle is our, uh, what do we want to say, our guinea pig. Yes. Our, our, yes. Our, <laughs> our, our, our guinea pig our for this episode. Our newbie. I mean, he's not a newbie. He knows movies pretty well, but yeah, he doesn't know he does. this one, and that's all mm -hmm. that matters. So mm -hmm. we are watching a movie called Stop Making Sense. So, Kyle, as is our tradition, now that I've named the movie, it is your job to tell us what you know about the film that we are about to watch. So when you asked me this, I knew nothing about the movie till I Googled it. Oh, oh see, no. We should have told you not to Google We should have told people not to Google uh, movies. Yeah. Yeah. And all I Googled, I didn't look, is just that first description where it gives you, okay. it said, a Talking Heads movie or, or from a concert. So that's all okay. I know. It's about the Talking Heads. And that is pretty much what it is. Yeah. Yes. So. Yes. yes. I, I will confirm that. It is yes, completely that is. accurate to say yeah. this is a Talking Heads concert movie. Yes, it um, is. It is. And uh, it's... Uh, I should note before we charge too full ahead, um, our previous episode said we were watching Purple Rain for this episode, but we're switching that up. Purple Rain is coming next. We're doing Stop Making Sense right now because of scheduling. Scheduling! So, dear listeners, if you're already prepared with... If you're like, what the hell? Purple I Rain. want to be listening to him talk about brands. <laughs> no. No, that's coming up next episode. So, next right now, we're, we're doing another... So, you're able to find someone in Minnesota who hadn't seen Purple Rain? Yes. yes. That's commendable. Yes. And his name is Matt Alex. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm going to punch him for that next time I meet him. Yeah, I know, right? Shouldn't surprise you too I'm not much. even from Minnesota. I've seen that movie. Yeah. Come on. Well, many people have seen Purple Rain, but not everybody. I mean, yeah. that's the tricky thing. You know, mm -hmm. we're trying right now. We're going to start looking to find somebody who hasn't seen Rage of the Lost Ark and Star Wars since mm -hmm. we haven't done those yet. So, you know. I, I think those are even more challenging. But anyway, yeah. getting back to... Getting back to Stop Making Sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there isn't a lot to say before we watch the movie. I yeah. mean, it is uh, directed by Jonathan Demme, which I think is notable. Uh, mm -hmm. He has directed... This is not the first real education film that he's directed. Uh, the other one is quite different. Silence of the Lambs. One. Yeah. Because he, direct, he directed Silence of the Lambs and Philadelphia and some other things of note. Uh, also several music videos and things like that. So, so. I, can I expect this to be as upbeat as those films? Uh, far more. <laughs> yeah, far more upbeat. Probably probably <laughs> more upbeat than, than certainly Philadelphia and Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know about the music videos. but uh, <laughs> So, I mean, Jonathan Demme is an Oscar-winning uh, director. Yes. Who put together this film. And mm -hmm. uh, it is... Notable, I think, the reason that that we as locals we talk about, you know, uh, the Minneapolis connection for Prince, uh, stop making sense in the '80s after it came out, played at the Uptown Theater in Uptown for uh, years, for years on Friday nights. Yeah. I think it was Friday nights. And then it was Saturdays. a midnight movie, and Saturday Saturday night the midnight movie was Rocky, uh, Rocky Horror. So uh, a lot of people in Minneapolis got their got their uh, first introduction to this film mm -hmm. uh, in that fashion. And I was actually one of those people who went every week mm -hmm. to watch this movie. I have seen this movie many times <laughs> and am intimately familiar with all of the music in the film. Yeah, there's a strange connection between the Talking Heads in Minnesota, or partic in particular David Byrne in Minnesota, because he starts all of his concert tours here. Um, he, like... There was a regional premiere for Stop Making Sense uh, for the for the Midwest, and it was here in Minnesota. It was actu actually at the Terrace Theater in Robbinsdale where they premiered it, which, by the way, dear listeners, got torn down 
about a month and a half ago. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that there's this. I think he lived here for a short period of time. Which we'll is have fine. to do some research yeah. on that. Yeah, uh, but and, uh, but yeah. The Talking Heads came out of New York in the 70s. They started in 1975. And Stop Making Sense was um, recorded in December of 1983. So this is like at the height of their powers. This is like right in the strike zone when they were becoming mega As big as they ever yeah. became. Yeah, yes. pretty much. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's pretty much what we're going to talk about for now. It's a hard to spoil it when you say yeah. it's a concert film. We're going to go watch a concert film. Uh, so we will do that. Uh, so sit back, relax, enjoy a brief 15 to 20 second snippet of Talking Heads, which mm -hmm. I guarantee you is what I'm going to plug in as the bridge music right now. Yep. And then uh, we'll be back to talk in more detail after we've watched the film. back big suits have been worn buckets of sweat have been spewed all over the stage uh, and, and lamps have been danced with lamps, yes. lamps have been danced with since has stopped making <laughs> anyway yeah uh the point is we've watched the movie so uh as is our tradition we are going to go to the person in the room who has not seen the film mm -hmm. to find out what we thought and that would be you kyle what did you think of stop making sense i thought it was really weird but fun Awesome. I think that's how I would describe it. I mean, the Talking Heads have always been a weird band. Oh, yeah. But, and to see them perform their songs live and throw in all the weird movements and dancing, and I didn't know they could make beige costumes look interesting. Like <laughs> all the weird, because they would change them, like the backup dancers wearing the, like, jort, like, it was a one-piece jort baggy shirt with yep. a belt. Mm -hmm. And everything just, it was very, like, this is very 80s, but then how a lot of things like fashion or cyclical a lot of those things are coming back now yeah and like okay. none of none of the things i saw on stage like clothing wise or even music would be out of place in like a hipster area well yeah like you could see yeah. any of those costumes or anything walking around in uptown and you wouldn't turn your head yeah not even the jod purse <laughs> yeah no none of that maybe the big suit maybe oh the big the big suit he would turn heads it would turn legs dude stop making sense <laughs> but it was i mean the music's great um one of my favorite little things i caught in the corner and like the first third of the film you could see two audience members mm -hmm. trying to dance with the music and they're completely out of sync and yep. awkwardly dancing meanwhile the everyone on stage is actually you know they're in rhythm with the bass player and the drummer, and these two, like, fans just don't know how to dance, and they look like, you know, horribly programmed robots or something. And I, and yet, that is strangely appropriate for the fan our, base of yes. this band. <laughs> really. So, it really is. And then those little things picking up, you know, just, yeah. yeah. It, it was, yeah, it was very weird, but I think I'd recommend it to anyone who likes the Talking Heads or just, it was like a final project of like a student film mm -hmm. like of a very artsy but they somehow pulled it off yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't yeah. always happen. Like, you have this weird artistic friend who's like, I'm going to make this concert movie. And you're like, I don't know, man. <laughs> you should do that. And then you see him like, wow, that was just as weird as I expected, but it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's super, the, the way it's shot is super, super simple. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, e- even by this point, you know, concert movies had become a sort of, I, I mean, keep in mind, this is 1984. This is like MTV eras in full swing. And yeah. this is before they stopped showing music videos on MTV. And so most concert films were, a, a bl- even by this time, were a blend of, you know, fast edited shots and, uh, you know, certain amount of flashiness to it and backstage interviews and shots of the audience and all that. And this movie just brings it all in and it's just the stage. Well, yeah, and then yeah. like that one thing I saw of the audience members saying it was in the corner. And yeah. It was just they were barely lit, and it was the focus isn't on them. My eyes just kind of went to them because they're in the background. And mm-hmm. It's like one shot I think from behind the band. You saw a glimpse of the audience at yep. one time, and then but, right at the end right of the film, the end, they've got a few shots of the audience. But for the majority of the film, the audience it's it's fo- it, it is almost the audience's point of view. Yeah, you know yeah. it it is. This is what you would see if you're watching a concert of this band, but but the way they use lighting, mm-hmm. which is very different from the way they that a lot of concerts were lit, yeah, and are lit, super super sparse, mm-hmm. you know that that the there's the we the one shot uh, which uh, I forget which which song it is, but there's the shot where uh, Burn is like he goes all the way down to the ground mm-hmm. and as he's coming he comes back up and there's a shot from his side and you see the two backup singers and the two keyboardists oh, yeah. silhouetted with a with just like one white light that's mm-hmm. shining on their on the front and it's just like the whole movie is is worth it for that one shot just that yeah. that moment that it's like <laughs> that camera was in the right place at the right time and and so, the editor recognized it and put mm-hmm. it in the oh, film yeah. too like yeah yeah. And and the I mean part of the the film the film's greatness is also just the staging of the concert because you have the first song is just burn on stage with a yeah. a boombox and then second song you have Tina Weymouth coming out and third song they bring out Chris France and fourth song and like you get the first time the whole band's on stage is when they're doing burning down the house. Yeah. And because they have like 10 people on stage. <laughs> yeah, it actually helped build the anticipation of what's yeah. going to happen next with, with that instead of just, you know, opening the curtain and there's the full band. Mm-hmm. Well, and I but love there's... that they open the curtain and the backdrop isn't there yeah. so you can see all the mm-hmm. all the shit on the back of the stage, yeah. which yeah. is arranged. I mean, you know, yeah. looking at it now, it's like it's you very know, symmetrical. Got those three cherry pickers set up. And, yeah. yeah. You know, it, 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 it's not like they just said, well, you know, whatever the fuck's back there. Like, we'll just leave it in. I don't, they, yeah. They clearly. It, it seems like, uh, was it David Byrne? Is that how you pronounce David it? David Byrne, yeah. Byrne. Mm-hmm. I, He's Scottish. Yeah, everything well, in, that, in this film seems very like thought out. Like, oh, yeah. Even like the random crap in the back, like I guarantee he had some, you know, I. Like he probably gave it to an art director. I want it to be symmetrical. I want some stuff. They look at it. And he made some, ch- but like yeah. everything was intentional. Oh yeah. Even the stuff well, that looked random. I, I don't think a piece like this could work if it was just random and improv. Oh no, no. And the the interesting thing about that is, I mean, the 
the fact that this movie was actually recorded over the course of three separate nights. Three it was all at the same concerts. venue, though. It was all at the same venue. It was at the Hollywood Pantages Theater, December 1983. But, you know, three consecutive nights, and the, the cameras were, I think, at the back of the house first for one night, and then they were at one side of the stage for the next, and then on the other side of the stage for Well, they definitely had some that. handheld walking around yep. the stage shots as well. Yep. Yeah, but the the fact that this whole thing is so well planned that you can splice shots in the same song from different nights and they mostly all work together yeah. is pretty astounding. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I, I think that is key and part part of understanding how that works is the fact that this is all just really intricately planned. Yeah, yeah, and I I think you you talk about the the design of the stage and things like that. And one of the things about uh, the Talking Heads as a band, you know, they're they're considered one of the more influential bands of the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, um, they all came out of art school. Yeah, and and you can and as David Byrne especially, I mean that David Byrne is the major driving force behind yeah. the Talking Heads, uh, and it's uh, so. Everything there, you really get the feeling is is burn driving. All right, yeah. this is what I want to have happen here. Um, yeah, the, the the art the art rock sort of um, uh, almost avant garde quality yeah, that very, Talking ha- Heads has is primarily driven by yeah David everything. It, the whole thing is a composition. Like oh, yeah. I mean, whereas a musician was, will just go into light tech. I want something impressive during this song, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and that you see that a lot of things, but. The, just like no, I want this. This this is you can see, you know the the methodical nature, the intentional purpose of it. It was mm-hmm. the whole presentation from the lighting to where they put the cameras on the certain mm-hmm. nights was all intentional to make the whole thing one piece. Yeah. When each song has very definite, specific lighting, mm-hmm. which is again very different from a standard rock concert. I mean, yeah, you know, you might you might play this song, you'll get a blue wash or a red wash, but it's yeah. like where the lights are coming from for each song, the color of the lights for each song, what is on the back, what mm-hmm. what's behind them. Sometimes it's black, sometimes there's projections, sometimes there's a solid color. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a solid color with ever without any front lighting. I mean, mm-hmm. they Every single song, they they're very starkly different. Yeah, um, and, and throw a strobe light in at one point. Yeah, yeah, which it, so. which is interesting because everything is so minimalist on that stage. It doesn't take much to be different for each song, but there's something that happens that goes that if you've seen this movie multiple times, you go, oh, it's this song. It's the song with the lamp. It's the, <laughs> the song, song with mm-hmm. the back back projection. It's the song with uh, the up lighting. It's the song or. You it's know. a song with the stagehand that walks around with the light and yeah, makes those probably awesome those guys because they guarantee those yeah. lights were getting hot. Yeah, oh like, sure, insane. oh yeah. They did um, there weren't LEDs oh. in 1983. No, no, no. They, they, they they were, were, they those, were, those were like ovens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that dude was hot. not wearing gloves. He was yeah. not wearing gloves. Oh, so, so I don't oh, know. the life of a roadie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they uh, so yeah, it's hard to. It, it, it I was doing some research just it's like you know top concert films you mm-hmm. know and like this and the last waltz are pretty much considered to be like the best two yeah concert films yeah um and go figure both are directed by oscar winning directors yeah, yeah go funny figure. that and and that's what's super interesting is like you look at this movie and it's like it's directed by jonathan demi yeah you know and and so there's a certain 
certain level of skill to putting it together. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that uh, that I read is is that um, you know he wanted to actually do it on the stage without an audience. Yeah. To get shots, and the band's like, well. The energy is completely different without an audience. Right. So they didn't want to do it. Right. So um, even though the, the audience barely figures into the visuals of the film, it, it's a very important that they're there. Yeah. And everything that that's captured in that movie is is a performance. Yeah. It is a 100%... And the other thing is it's 100% a concert film. You know, as you <laughs> mentioned, you know, a lot, of, a lot of concert films have backstage interviews. Often they take place in more than one venue. Mm -hmm. uh, but this one, it's like, if you didn't know... You know, if you weren't really paying attention and noticing that there are a few people whose clothing changes from night to night, mm -hmm. um, if you didn't know that it was filmed on multiple nights, you could believe that it's all one concert. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty seamless. So, uh, Melissa, what, what do you have in your in your bag of note tricks? Oh, goodness. Um, so, David Byrne, I'll just start with him because everybody likes talking about David Byrne. You know, he was born in Scotland, but he was raised up in... Uh, in Baltimore. He's still a Scottish citizen, by the way. I don't think he ever filed for U.S. citizenship, but he grew up in Baltimore and he wound up, uh, uh, oh, I should start with, like, by, by the time he got to high school, he already knew how to play violin and guitar and harmonica and accordion. Uh, he tried out for choir, but they rejected him because they said he was off key. And uh, <laughs> uh, he got through high school just fine. He went to college for like a year at uh, at a design school, uh, I think at Rhode Island School of Design, I think it was, where he met Chris France, the drummer, and uh, his girlfriend at the time, Tina Weymouth, who is the bassist for Talking Heads. And um, Byrne dropped out after like a year and wandered off to New York City. And soon after, uh, France and Weymouth uh, followed him and uh, they they had already formed one band band well Weymouth wasn't part of it but uh, uh, Chris France and David Byrne had already had one small band that kind of fell apart pretty quick but once they were in New York City they started thinking about putting together another band they couldn't find a bassist so they just trained Tina how to play bass guitar and they debuted at CBGB which is, you know, in 1975, you know, they were the hotspot for all these new new wave and punk bands. Yep. And so they kind of hit an audience pretty quickly. They added Jerry Hammond in 1977, and he was the uh, other guitarist. And, um, he played keyboards, too. Guitars, guitars, and, guitars and keyboards. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the four of them were the core members of the Talking Heads. And in the period of about four years, they put out four albums under the uh, um, tutelage of Brian Eno, <laughs> and then had like a three-year hiatus. And the, the album that they came out with after that three-year hiatus was the one where they took the tour and did the, um, did the concert film, Stop Making Sense. So by this time, they had all the music you heard for, from those five albums. And then shortly after this is when the band started to fall apart. And I think they stopped operating in about 1985 and their final concert was in 1991. Right. Because so, um, Byrne was very, by this point, Byrne was very interested in world music and he 
started kind of wanting to go solo and like by 1986 he uh, was collaborating on uh, the score for The Last Emperor which he worked on with um, the guy from uh, Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence and <laughs> uh, a Chinese composer whose name I'm blanking on the three of them collaborated on this the score and won an Oscar and so uh, Byrne just completely kind of went and, off on his own. And Byrne apparently is eh, can be difficult to work with. Uh, he's 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 a little Asperger-y. Yeah. As, as I've seen described multiple times. He's, yeah. He's painfully shy. He uh, is just kind of hard to get along with. But mm. you put him on stage and he's a wonderful performer. But yeah. he's, yeah, he's, he's electric. I mean, and that's yeah. that's one of the things that the, this film is, is so smart to do. I mean, yeah, everybody in the band is interesting. But yeah. it's like, it's really clear that they're like, all right, we want to see what Byrne is doing pretty much all the time. Yeah. Oh. I, I mean, it's interesting watching Tina Weymouth because her eyes are almost always on Byrne. Like, she's, I'm sure she's taking cues from him because mm -hmm. he's one band member who's in front of her rather than to the side or back of her. But also, she's like, what's he doing now? He's a nut. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And. Yeah. and so, yeah, the band, they, 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 they're like at the height of their power. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. When Stop Making Sense comes out, Stop Making Sense was really well reviewed at the time. I yeah. mean, it, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a, a film that people appreciated later. Um, yeah. When it came out, everybody's like, "Holy shit! This, this is, is an amazing thing. This is an amazing film." Um, due, I think, in large part to the charisma of David Byrne when he's on stage. I oh, mean, yeah. The rest of the band is very, very good. Their music is excellent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the reason they had a they rose the way they did is because they they were really really good and wrote really catchy stuff yeah um so well, it, it's it, watchable just because the music is all like oh i like this song too um well they're, they they kind of sit at the center of this weird venn diagram of art rock and kind of all this conceptual stuff and new wave and this kind of Afrobeat thing that they were getting interested in. So and there's, like all there's the, punk in there because they, they came in, they came up through the punk scene. Yeah, but they, I mean, there's so much funk in there, which is which is interesting and kind of telling that uh, you've got the four band members on stage with this assembled um, uh, further orchestra of musicians on along with them, and all those extra musicians are from funk bands and disco yeah. bands the, the only white people on stage are the members of talking heads yeah um, yeah and that that is clearly a choice and yeah so so then the other thing about talking heads uh you hopefully know, he didn't show them the video of him in blackface yeah let's hope. well that was a different thing <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a different time yeah, so but. uh david byrne of course is is going off and doing his own thing so the other three members of the band went off and formed a band called the tom tom, tom club, club. Mm -hmm. uh or rather which, the tom tom club uh they formed it during that three-year hiatus it's yeah like france and weymouth it's like we're bored we want to make music and the tom <laughs> yeah. tom club actually did pretty well yeah they did um, and they continued to perform, I think, through the 90s. A genius mm -hmm. love you hear on the radio all the time to this day. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a well-known song. Even if people yeah. don't know the name of the band, they know right. the song. Yeah. Right. So, and, uh, and even after Byrne left, um, uh, the remaining members of Talking Heads were still called The Heads, and they did one more album after that and mm -hmm. before they dissolved. And uh, one, one of their tracks is on the Virtuosity soundtrack. <laughs> Oh, there's a film. <laughs> there's a film. And the last performance, uh, and the band did get back together when they were inducted into the Hall of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2006. Yeah. So yeah. that that was their last public performance as 
the Talking Heads mm -hmm. with David Byrne. Mm -hmm. They're all still making music, so far as I know. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So, and uh, Chris Franz and Tina Weymouth are still married. Which is weird in and of itself. Yeah, really. I mean, <laughs> all this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, just you know, artists and musicians aren't exactly known for long marriages. None of the, oh, member, yeah. none of the members of ABBA are married to each other anymore. Oh yeah. So, yeah, it, and uh, it, it, well, you know, tra it, all that travel is hard. Fame is mm -hmm. does difficult things to people. But oh, yeah. it clearly worked for them. It worked for them. Uh, what else is there, Melissa? Oh, let's see. Uh, the band paid for the movie themselves. The whole yes. budget was raised by the band. Uh, the big suit uh, came from uh, no theater. It, they did a show in Japan, apparently, and uh, David Byrne had, had saw a bunch of kabuki in no theater. And he goes, I want to do that. <laughs> I want my head to appear small, so let's make a big suit. And so that's where the big suit came from. Uh, there were there are three extra songs that are not part of the movie. When it was re when it was finally released on home video for the first time, they spliced the three songs back in, and then when it was moved to DVD, the movie went to DVD in its original form without those three songs. But the three songs are an extra on the DVD. So if you get the DVD, you can watch more material on it as well as a really fascinating extra yes which we'll we did watch that after about. the film there's this yeah. david byrne interviewing himself where oh he's, he's, and and if you don't have the dvd you can it's on youtube yeah. just google david byrne in, interviewing himself it's, it, it's one of the long. weirdest things i've ever seen it's so, so weird and it, i've seen a lot of student films oh god it, like. it, it's <laughs> It's very deliberately arch and awkward, but oh my god, it's just oh weird. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it's like it, it looks like a um, public access public access interview TV show. interview yeah. show. David Byrne in the big suit in one chair, looking really awkward, giving really awkward answers, and like intentionally the, with no charisma whatsoever. Yeah, just like yeah, deadpan intentionally delivery. very wooden. And the interviewer is also David Byrne going through a progression of increasingly bizarre costume changes. Yeah. Playing yeah. different characters, including one of them in blackface, which yeah. is Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. There's <laughs> a woman, there's like a like a redneck, there's a radio DJ, there's, there's an a, old man. Who falls asleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very odd. It's like a biker. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, like it, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating yeah. thing. Um yeah, and my my memories of this yeah. film, I mentioned that, you know, in the Twin Cities it showed at the Uptown Theater on Friday nights at midnight. And then on Saturday nights there would be Rocky Horror. And I I actually went to Stop Making Sense more than I went to Rocky Horror. Mm -hmm. Um and and, and, and it was fascinating because, you know, nobody in the audience was sitting in their seats. They were all up and they were dancing for the entire movie. But you would do the dances that David Byrne was doing on the screen. So like in the one in the one song, um, which I think think is life during wartime anyway there's one where where, run. where he's yeah. running around the stage yeah and so the entire audience is like running up one aisle out into the lobby because it didn't have a back aisle yeah. at the time so you'd run up one aisle out into the lobby and back into the theater and everybody would run in a circle uh -huh. until that part was done and it was just it was crazy you were sweating almost as much as the band was on screen um, it's better than aerobicize. It is. And then the, the trailer, which we watched afterwards, just so because <laughs> I had this great memory of they would show the trailer before Rocky Horror. Yep. And of course, Rocky Horror is all about shouting at the screen. And so the trailer in includes these words that are flashing up on the screen that form 
questions and the last thing was always a question mark and I just remember sitting there in this theater filled with you know 200 people you know why the big suit question mark <laughs> it was uh it was uh, wonderful memories of my youth yeah memories 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 of my youth in the late 80s and early 90s um well, what's really impressive is that it ages. This, th- I mean, this film is so pretty much ageless. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, well, I mean, if a band like did a film like this now, they'd probably be lauded for it. Oh like, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It definitely stands up, you know. Yeah, and it's the, it's just there's a certain confidence in the in the filmmaking where you know the shots are long and they just trust the performers to be electric and give it the, that excitement that most editors try to make up for in in the editing booth and, and they you know, make, it's just so it's so solid they make really great decisions and it could have been because they didn't have a good shot but but like there there's a time where burn is like in the shot and then suddenly he decides to do something and he drops out of the shot yeah and it takes the the camera operator a while to find him again yeah and they hold that shot and let the camera operator find him mm-hmm. and you have to figure that they shot over three nights. Mm-hmm. There probably was a camera shot that wasn't that bad, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah. But they they make the act the decision that you know what this looks better. This is more interesting. This is more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is. I mean, I think I, I you don't you wouldn't have known if you'd watched the the film and they'd taken the shot from the other angle that didn't. I mean, there was one shot from wide, from like the balcony, where you could actually see a camera rig in yeah. front of the stage mm-hmm. on a full dolly, mm-hmm. like with a crew moving the dolly. So I'm like, those kind of rigs, yeah, you can't train the camera quick. It's not like a yeah a handheld. Yeah, it, you know? they're not very yeah. versatile. You know, you kind of have to lock in and make make that decision because that's where you're staying. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the um, and and I love how th- as the performance goes on there's a certain playfulness that comes into burn i mean because when you start out it's just burn in this giant empty cavern of a stage performing by himself and there's a certain strangeness and awkwardness to it but as more people join him on stage he starts like playing with the cameras you know there are shots where he's looking straight at the camera or like he holds out the mic to the camera uh-huh. or uh, you know, playing with other performers on or stage. Or the mic he held to the stagehand holding the... Oh, yeah. The yes. uh, light. Yeah. The stagehand played along and said, like, the line of the, yep. the lyric, which was pretty funny. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. But the, but the you know, there's a certain playfulness where he even, you know, just breaks out of the, the perform... Not breaking out of the performance. It is part of the performance, but including the camera crew with mm-hmm. it is pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Uh, it's... it's it, it is hard to find any fault with this film. Yeah. I mean, as far yeah. as, you know, I, I suppose the only fault you can find is if you don't like the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, if you don't like the music, you have no soul, really. Yeah, Just, you're pretty much a horror. I- <laughs> yeah, you're, you're Part a- of me in the back of my head, though, is like, you mentioned, like, other than the core members of the Talking Heads, all the other musicians yeah. are black. I wonder if, if some of them are thinking, I'm saying, these white people are really weird. Like, at what point I, does that maybe cross their... I mean, it, they I definitely... Mean, the, yeah. the, those other musicians look like they're having a great time and mm-hmm. enjoying themselves for sure. But sometimes when they're doing, like, the awkward dances and stuff, mimicking David Byrne and everything, mm-hmm. wonder, like, if a part of them goes... 
I'm, I'm glad they're paying us well. You know, like, <laughs> like, like we're professional musicians and we're talented in what we do. So we're going to deliver a great performance because we're pros. Yeah. You know, as a dude. But, like, I wonder if... I would love to see interviews with, you know, make, oh, no, yeah. I would love to see like a, like a documentary on the making this, like talking to the other, like what was going through your head when he came out in a giant suit and other things, you know, or like, <laughs> Oh, it was, you know, you know, is it, yeah, that guy is weird. Or it's like, oh, he just liked to have fun and it, it worked, you know, like mm-hmm. it would be really great to kind of know what the other people on stage, what oh, was yeah. going through their heads. Well, I think I, it, yeah, it, it always fascinated me that, you know, seeing this concert happen in 1984, the thing that always struck me is the bassist is a woman. It, 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 there's more than one woman on stage. There's, there's yes. a mixture of black and white people. And and coming out of pop music in 1984, that was pretty striking. That it, yeah, I think I think one of the one of the things that um, and the woman notable, in the band is the bassist. Yeah, I think one of the things yeah. that's notable, and um, this is as a as a performer as as somebody in a band um the the musicians that are on the stage that are not members of the talking heads are introduced as if they're all members of the band yeah there is they they are for the purposes of that performance that band is Is the the talking heads and and Um, several of them did also uh feature on other you know, later albums or... Uh, I'm sure they use them as studio musicians. And, and you know. I'm pretty sure that Alex Weir, uh, who was the black guitarist on stage, uh, he was from the Brothers Johnson. Uh, he, I think he went on to do albums with uh, the Tom Tom Club. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I, I bet that's, that's really notable that they, yeah. they, it wasn't like... He didn't like single out the talking heads as the audience knew them. This is the band that you came to see, and then these are our other performers. He just goes across the stage and introduces all of them the same. Yeah, and there are um, a few. There are a few other musicians that are in this film who also toured from time to time with the Talking Heads, like Adrian Ballou being the one that most people would know. I mean, from uh, King Crimson, but uh, you know everybody else. I think toured multiple times with the talking heads so yeah yeah um, so yeah i think it's uh we're reaching the point of final thoughts Ooh, yeah. so uh i will go around the room and say melissa yes. what is your final thought about stop making sense i want to talk about tina weymouth tina uh, weymouth <laughs> the, the female bass player the female bass player um she's the daughter of u.s navy vice admiral ralph weymouth who uh is after uh, working in post-war Japan, uh, became a avid uh, nuclear dissenter. You know, he was very much against nuclear pr- proliferation. Uh, she is also sister to architect Jan Weymouth, who designed the Salvador Dali Museum in Florida, huh. and uh, also helped design the Louvre with I.M. Pei. And uh, she's the great-granddaughter of Anatoly Labratz, the Bard of Brittany, a poet of some renown. And uh, she has done backing vocals for Gorillaz, and uh, yeah, yeah, right. That's cool. Yeah, right. I'm not surprised. I know I'm like (laughs) that's an appropriate fit as well. Yeah, but you know, the she was very quickly dubbed the queen of bass guitars because really there were no other female (laughs) bass guitar players in 1970. She's a good bass player. I mean, I I, yeah, she is. I was watching. She's remarkable. Yeah, yeah, I was impressed uh, just seeing her play. You know, yeah, and dancing while playing a bass guitar at the same time. Yeah. Dancing, yeah. singing, and playing a bass guitar at the same time. 
Yeah. I struggle to chew gum and walk at the same time sometimes. <laughs> All right, oh, Kyle, what's oh, your... Oh, oh, yeah. And the band Radiohead got their got their name from the Talking Heads song, Radiohead. Ha-ha! Ha-ha! There we oh, go. Nice. All right, uh, so uh, what is your final thought, Kyle? Um, like you said, it was, it was weird but fun. Uh, if you like new wave music or mm-hmm. art, you know, you know I definitely recommend it. I always liked the Talking Heads. They're a fun, mm-hmm. you know. I was a kid in the '80s. I can't, you know. Several of their songs appear in soundtracks. I know I've heard before, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's hard hard to miss their music if you were, you know, if you're over the age of 25. You've probably heard their songs many times, and even if you're oh, yeah. under 25, if you have a parent, you know. Oh yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It's it's weirdly fun. Like it's definitely. Yeah, it, it feels to me like. Unlike a lot of the new wave stuff, um, Talking Heads is kind of a little more ageless music. Well, they're not trying to be weird for the sake of being weird. They're just going, this is who we are, and we happen to be weird. Mm -hmm. Here is our music. Yeah. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. I love 80s music. The thing that I think makes a band like the Talking Heads and also like R.E.M., uh, which is, I think, very similar in terms of, of their their influences. Yeah. Uh, but makes a band like the Talking Heads more timeless is their music doesn't sound like 80s music no. or no. 70s music. It is, it is outside of what you associate with mm-hmm. 80s pop music, mm-hmm. even though some of their music was popular. Yeah. Um, my final uh, thought is actually that... Uh, I, I, you know, I mentioned that they showed this at the Uptown on Friday nights, and they showed Rocky Horror on Saturday nights, and and, and I continued to watch Stopping Sense for quite some time after I would go to Rocky Horror, and one of the reasons is I find Rocky Horror outside of the music awful. I, um, <laughs> it's, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, that's about right. And and Stopping Sense is just music. Yeah, and. And the thing that I find so impressive about this film is it is just music. They don't mm-hmm. they don't do if they talk if they talk to the audience between songs, you don't see it. They play yep. a song, they they change instruments, they mm-hmm. change outfits if they're gonna change outfits, they change lighting, and it's a new song and it's remarkable that it's a not you know, approximately ninety minute music movie and without a narrative. Yeah. Except for that narrative at the beginning of bringing the entire band in. Mm-hmm. Um it holds your attention, yeah, remarkably well. Yeah, if you knew nothing about these band members, you'd kn- you'd still know nothing about them at the end of the film, except what you could see in their body movements. Really. And what what you know is that they seem to just love the shit out of yeah. performing. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, then, the next thing to say is uh, we uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, but I will mention again here: the next movie we are going to watch in kind of our our concert movie theme mm-hmm. for the month of November. We are going to be, or well, no, anyway, never mind. the 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 point is, yeah. <laughs> the next movie we're going to watch in our concert theme is going to be Purple Rain. Finally, and, and, and yeah, and you know we we put it off for a while, and then mm-hmm. then Prince had his untimely demise earlier this year, and it seemed like it 
it was time yeah. to uh, to put Purple Rain on the movie platter mm-hmm. and give it a spin. So join us next time for Purple Rain. Kyle, thank you so much for joining yes. us. Is thank there you. anything that you would like to plug that people should listen to or check out? Sure. Uh, I'm going to plug my website, hotchocolatemedia.net, mm-hmm. uh, where you can find my podcast, The Movie Machine, where it's an improv comedy podcast where we make a movie up based on a random prompt and both the web series I was executive producer and writer of are also can be found hosted there along with some partner webcasts and shows. Awesome. So All lots right. of great geeky serial content on hotchocolatemedia.net. Hotchocolatemedia.net. Well, thanks again, yeah. Kyle. Thank you for listening and we will catch you next time for Purple Rain. <laughs> Purple Rain. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Beep.